Shalom everyone and welcome to chapter five to six of the Galatian series. In this episode, we are going to be talking about some exciting things, continuing on the thoughts that we have been uh, building on in the previous parts of this series. So we highly recommend, as always, that you watch this series from the beginning, starting in chapter one to two, the first video we put out. Last time we've talked about Sarah and Hagar and the whole idea of is it really the law versus freedom and how do what what is Paul really trying to teach us with regards to Sarah and Hagar and how it is this free woman versus the slave woman and how this interplays and what he's trying to explain with regards to the law. And this time we're going to talk about circumcision here in chapter five to six. He Paul is now putting the last. This is the, the concluding thoughts that he's giving us with regards to his thoughts on the first century perspective, cultural perspective of circumcision. And also um, he talks about being led by the spirit. What does that actually mean biblically? Because you may find that you know, uh, we oftentimes throw around this idea of being led by the spirit. But what does the Bible actually define being led by the spirit as being? It's very important. And then we're also going to talk about fruits of the flesh versus fruits of the spirit, which really ties into walking in the spirit as well. So as we begin, we're going to talk about circumcision first, starting in Galatians five. Now, what do we need to remember with this going into this is what we have been talking about a lot in the previous episodes of the series. And that is with regards to what Paul means when he talks about circumcision, when he is addressing circumcision in the context that we're going to be reading now, he is talking about the, the, the false erroneous ideas about what circumcision is and is for that we're going around when he was writing this and in the first century and granted many of those ideas are even circulating in the modern time of today, even within Christianity as well as Judaism. So we're going to try and bring now that final division, uh, the, the distinction between what is the actual biblical circumcision versus the erroneous ideas and the erroneous circumcision, if you will, that certain Pharisee groups um, believed in the time of that he was writing this. And of course, at its base level, that simply is that they believed that God's original commandment of circumcision is was supposed to be that you, that is what saves you. When the first uh, episode of the series, uh, Christina went into the um, history history and what they actually believed historically about like that our own blood of our own circumcision is what actually can save you. That's what they actually believed. And that, of course, comes in the way of the gospel message, the cross. And so that is what Paul is really getting angry about is people who push aside the cross and that it is we are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ that saves us. And it is not by our own works, not our own circumcision or any other works that for that matter, 
or of the law or of works of man or anything, but it is by faith alone. That is the basis um, of the true message of the cross. But that is not what they were believing in the first century, many of the people at least. So let's dig right in. Galatians 5 verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So, as we start this, in the very first verse, Paul is already saying something that is quite controversial and I think very misunderstood. You know, he talks about how if for freedom Christ has set us free, don't again submit to this yoke of slavery. Now, do you remember what Yeshua, Jesus, he said, come to me, my yoke is light, right? My burden is light. It is not a heavy one. And so Paul is not talking about something else. He's saying, but there, there's that which we're supposed to be under. But there's this other thing, the yoke of slavery. Now, what is the yoke of slavery? In the next verse, he says, look, I say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ is of no value, no advantage to you. Now, that's the big thing, right? It's where we're, we're, we're thinking that, okay, by this, obviously, it seems that um, that yoke is if we accept circumcision or insert any other law of God, right? We can even go as far as say the law is um, slavery because circumcision is naturally part of the law. So everything in the law is like this yoke of slavery. And so we now have to throw off that yoke, the law and put on Christ instead. That's what many have thought and thought, but but let's just think about this for a second. Let's just let's take off those previous glasses and let's be willing to to hear this text out and see what Paul is just saying here. Mm -hmm. All right. So Paul is saying here that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no value, no advantage to you. Now, why would he say that? Why is it that if we accept this thing in the law, and if we do it, then suddenly Christ is of no value like it. So we're doing something that God said, maybe in the law. But now if we do it, Christ is of no value to us. Why? 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 What is the thing? It is because he is talking about a circum a, a belief about circumcision that is not in accordance to what God taught in his word. It's not about what the Bible teaches. It's basically not biblical circumcision. He is talking about unbiblical circumcision, a belief that was going around that is that says that if you go to be circumcised, that is what saves you. You are saved by the own blood of your own circumcision and not the blood of Christ. That is the problem, because if you think that you don't need Christ, that's why he says, if you go and do this circumcision and have this belief about this circumcision, then you might as well not have Christ because he's no, of no advantage because you don't think you need him. 
but you need to understand that that blood of your own circumcision is not what is going to save you, but you actually do need him. He, Christ is of advantage to you. And this is the circumcision that Paul has been talking about the entire book of Galatians. Like, you know, when we spoke about in the first few chapters, the false brothers who came in preaching a different gospel that you can be saved through your own circumcision, through your own blood, as we read some quotes also from the Talmud earlier in the first um, first uh, part in this series. So that is the circumcision Paul is referring to, that that circumcision mm -hmm. to gain salvation. Right. So if you reread this verse, it really sheds a lot of light on what Paul is communicating. Right, and just to put the cherry on the cake, so to speak, um, what about Timothy? All right, <laughs> Timothy was circumcised by Paul himself, and, <laughs> and Christ then... Christ has no is, advantage to Timothy anymore, well darn it all. Right, it doesn't make sense for Paul to mean that, right? The, the, the point is rather that if Paul circumcised Timothy with having Timothy believing that this circumcision is what saves me, then it's an issue. Right. Then Timothy would be doing away with Christ and Christ would be of no advantage because mm -hmm. he saves himself or the circumcision saves him. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. Not the act itself, but if the belief of what it means is unbiblical, yeah. which was very prevalent and is prevalent today in many in many people's minds still, that circumcision is the thing that saves us, which is wrong. Mm. But if we believe the correct thing about not just circumcision, but any part of the law, whether it be keeping of the Sabbath, mm. whether it be keeping the feast days, whether it be I should not murder, yeah. whether it be I loving should not... Loving your neighbor and loving the Lord your God, all of your heart, soul, mind and strength. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, extending this even to, to, to out of man-made traditions, like you're not allowed to cut your hair or do this or wear that or do this, you know, whatever it is. Um, as long as we understand these things do not save us, then it is more permissible than if we thought they do. So I think the important thing for us really on a, to make this very personal to you is, is whenever you do anything within the law of God, you know, why do you do it? When, you, when you're obedient to God in any way, even if it's something like what uh, doing of the Great Commission, casting out demons, healing the sick, and preaching the gospel, or, you know, um, do you do these things to be accepted by God? Do you do these things to um, inherit salvation, to secure that spot in heaven for you? Do you hope to do these things so that you can get a Holy Spirit? Or, or do you understand that I am accepted? I am free. I will accept, get the Holy Spirit without ha doing, having to work for him. I will... I'll receive salvation through faith and faith alone, alone, alone. Nothing, nothing, nothing you can do on your own is going to help you get into heaven, accept your belief in him. And then you continue in that faithfulness to his word. Um, I think it's very important because the enemy will try and come. It's very, he's very sneaky in this where he tries to bring in condemnation upon people where he will come and tell you, you know, let's just say we try and, and be obedient where we're, we're trying to not sin, which we should be doing. And then we try and fall. Oh, then we accidentally fall in some way. And now the enemy is going to come in and try and say to us, you're condemned. You are worthless. Worthless. Yeah. You're, you know, you, you're not qualified to preach the gospel. You're, you, you, you'll never get the Holy Spirit because you have so much sin. Okay. Whatever these lies of condemnation, 
those lies is gonna, are going to try and come in. And that's really similar to really the lies that we're dealing with and that what Paul was dealing with in this letter here, that you need to do things better before you can be um, accepted by God or used by God. But this is the freedom. This is what Paul is talking about in verse one. He said, the freedom that Christ has given us, he's promised, he's delivered it, is the fact that we can rest. We can enter that race that we are saved, that we are accepted, that we by faith receive power, mm-hmm. that we by faith receive um, uh, everything we need in him to do what he's called us to do by faith and faith alone. And by that, that freedom now, because we're free, we don't live in guilt, shame and condemnation anymore. And now we can go forth. And when we fall and we, we will fall, you know, we will make mistakes along the way. The Holy Spirit will convict us. So instead of mm. condemnation, which is from the enemy, the Holy Spirit gives conviction that, you know, you messed up. Let's get back on the path. Let's stand back up and walk in freedom. Yes. And as he then comes to convict us of our sin, of righteousness, etc., he comes with a gentle voice. He then also, as we repent towards him, he mm. forgives he says in, his, in the book of John that he is quick to forgive. He's trustworthy to forgive us when we fail. So we don't have to go and dwell on how we are failures because if we if we allow these our acts and our works to determine our value, then we're going to think of ourselves as worthless. But you need to understand that what Christ did on the cross for you means that you are valuable enough to die for. And that is why he did die for you. That means that you don't. And he died for you while you were still a sinner, by the way. He didn't die for you after you got better and started repenting. He died before that because he saw that there was value in you and he knew what your potential was. Mm -hmm. So now let the value that the cross determines and that is on you. Step into that value. Walk in a worthy manner, uh, in a manner worthy of that value. And then that will be pleasing. Now on the other side of the coin, just as important is also, there's a lot of believers and a lot of Christians who will see um, the word of God and certain commands or certain things in the word of God. And they'll look at it and they'll ask themselves, is this a salvation um, issue? Mm. Like we just spoke about the cross of Christ. That is so, that's so foundational. But then we have um, an imbalance that will look at everything else and say, well, is this salvational? Is that command salvational? And then because this command is not salvational, like circumcision, for example, that's not salvational for sure. Well, no command is. No command is salvational. (laughs) We'll look at it and we'll say, okay, well, then I don't need to keep it because it's not salvational. I'm only going to do what is necessary to get my foot into the door at heaven. And that's the the minimum requirements Christian sort of thing. Well, I'll only do just enough to get in, just to take that first step. But what does Paul describe it as? He describes it as a race. Not getting that first step to say you you, you pass the starting line. You're in the race now. But what are you doing? Are you running that race with endurance? And what does that look like? Right. I like to call it a minimum requirements Christian because you can think of it similar to if you've ever uh, like looked at computer software or computer games or anything you run on a computer. If you look in the back of the box, it's going to tell you there's minimum requirements and there are recommended requirements, right? For running this program on your computer. If you have the minimum requirements of uh, running it on the hardware on your computer, it's going to run barely and it's going to work and it's going to be a little sluggish probably and really slow, but it's going to work at least going to just just work 
But if you have a computer that has the recommended requirements of the software made, mm -hmm. it's going to be able to run that software exceedingly well. And that's exactly what Christina just mentioned about. We're not about, we're not supposed to get into heaven with the minimum requirements. We're supposed to get in running a race exceedingly well. We're supposed to be going for the recommended at least and not the minimum. And the recommended requirements of the Bible is to say, what does it mean to be a good running the race Christian? And that is not to ask the question of what is the minimum I need to do to get saved? Oh, I just need to pray that prayer. Oh, well, good. That's all I need to do. Let's I mean, or I just need to go to church on a Sunday. Oh, well, that's good. I just need to do that. That's great. That's lukewarm Christianity. And I want to dare to say that many people who aim for the minimum requirements wouldn't even make that because sometimes you install a minimum requirement made soft this uh, uh, computer program on your computer and it crashes mm -hmm. and it fails because it doesn't actually work. This is the problem is when we meet, if we aiming for the minimum requirements, we may become part of the lukewarm and revelation that God says, I will spit you out of my mouth mm -hmm. because you will not our heart nor cold, but lukewarm. And so we need to ask the question of not what do I just need to do be, to be saved? Well done. You just started the race. You need to run a race and ask the question of how can I please my father? Right. If that is your heart, you will look at his instructions as not something that I don't need to do because it's not about salvation, but as a delight because you love him. Mm -hmm. And he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And what do we have in Revelation? But it says, and this is the testimony of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and faith in Jesus Christ. All right, so getting back to Galatians 5, verse 3, Paul says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. This is key. When Paul explains, and he clearly says, you who would desire to be justified by the law. When you have the mindset of being justified or saved by the works of the law, then you have fallen from grace because you're trying to be saved through your own works, through your flesh instead of through right. the blood of Jesus. And the only way in that way, if yes. you would be able to get saved is you, if you were able to keep all of the law. That's why mm -hmm. he said you will be obligated to keep all of the law if you're trying to keep the law to be saved. Outside of that boundary, if you're not trying to keep the law to be saved, but if you have the correct understanding of what you're saved by grace alone, now that is not applying to you anymore. Now you can keep the law and you're not obligated to keep all of it for salvation because you know you're not saved mm -hmm. by the law. But now we can keep it in freedom. We can be obedient and freedom. We can don't have to have we don't have this hammer hanging over our head for if we're make a mistake we're gonna right. go to Gehenna or something. It's, <laughs> you messed up once there. You, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. it's not about that, and that's why I said in verse five, for through the Spirit, yeah. through faith, we await our hope for righteousness. Not through the law we await our hope, through faith. So now I hope you can start seeing now that as we've been really hammering in this series that. You know, the law is okay. It's good. It's holy. It's perfect. Psalm 119. But as when we apply it wrongly, that is to be saved, mm -hmm. then it's going to bring condemnation upon us. But if we trust in Christ, we have freedom. Mm -hmm. Moving on. Verse six. 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. Right, so again, we have to understand he's talking about the unbiblical circumcision here. The idea that circumcision is what saves you. So then he's saying it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised in terms of the context here of salvation. It doesn't count for anything. Mm -hmm. Keeping the law in terms of salvation, it doesn't count for anything. Whether you do whatever, it doesn't. It is not even about circumcision. It could be anything. If it is out, if you're talking about salvation, whether you do it or not, it doesn't count for anything because you're saved by grace alone, 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 alone. And simply keeping the law is rather a demonstration of our faithfulness in him and to the call that he has called us to. And so then and to just prove this point and in chapter three, he actually said exactly the same thing. He said, neither there's neither Jew nor Greek, but we are all heirs according to Abraham's offspring, his promise. And this is the same thing. There's not a Jew circumcised, not a Greek uncircumcised. All that matters is that we have this promise of Yeshua. That is faith, salvation in him. It's not about your gender. It's not about whether you're circumcised. It's not about these things. It's about faith in him. And then in verse nine, we continue reading the following. A little leaven leavens all the lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he shall be. And so there's something very interesting here in verse nine. He, he uses this terminology, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's very similar also to the terminology that Jesus himself used when speaking about those Pharisees that came against him. And he said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, this whole idea of leaven. Mm -hmm. The only biblical definition that is given to this idea of leaven is actually comes from the keeping of the Passover feast and the feast of unleavened bread. And the fact that Paul is using this terminology is actually teaching us and showing us that he is speaking to an audience who must be familiar with it. The Galatians need to actually know what this means and how would they know what this means? Unless they are keeping God's feast days, his Passover, the feast of unleavened bread, just like Paul did. He said, I must by all means keep this feast. Remember coming in Jerusalem and he even goes when it's the forest to leave and sail across the ocean to get there to keep it right. Paul is keeping the feasts. The Galatians are keeping the feasts because the only way they would have any idea what he is saying is if they knew Passover and the feast of unleavened bread, because in that feast, the commandment is that you need to remove the leaven from your house. Mm -hmm. And everyone understood that leaven represents our sin. pride and our sin. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is just an interesting little note here that, Hey, this is actually them knowing this because they are keeping these feasts. Continuing on in verse 11. And I brothers, if I still proclaim circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the stake has been set aside. Oh, that those who disturb you would even cut themselves off. Okay, so at this verse, we're going to take this one a little bit slow because 
this is very confusing. Mm-hmm. It can be very confusing. It's uh, uh, Paul is, uh, and the reason for that is that Paul is actually having a little bit of a change of train of thought in some way, um, or he's really he's been speaking about. Um, this unbiblical circumcision all along now. He's been speaking about how, uh, you know, uh, we are this 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 idea of circumcision of being means of salvation. That's what he is against and what he has been speaking about. But now I want to submit to you, he's going to have a little bit of a change of how he is, what he is speaking about. So we need to, to understand what he is saying here. We need to ask this question. Is when he is saying circumcision, if he is saying, I, if I still proclaim circumcision, why am I still persecuted? When he is saying that, is he speaking of um, the unbiblical circumcision he's been speaking about before? Or is he now suddenly changing and to, to talk about the actual, real, true yeah. biblical mm-hmm. circumcision? Because if he is talking about the biblical circumcision, he is actually telling us that he is for it. Because he is saying, if I still proclaim circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the stake has been set aside. For example, let's just make to make this simpler. Let's 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 insert the word unbiblical or biblical before circumcision here to see what it, to discover which one it is. If he says, if I still proclaim unbiblical circumcision, why am I still persecuted? He's asking the question. Well, the answer would be, Paul, you're not being persecuted for proclaiming the unbiblical circumcision of being saved by salvation. Saved through circumcision. Through circumcision. Um, So you're not being persecuted. Right. He wouldn't be persecuted if he was proclaiming the exact same thing these false brothers were. He'd be in unity with them. He wouldn't be persecuted at all. They'd welcome him in and say, yeah, you've joined the community of believing what we believe in regards to this unbiblical circumcision. He would not be persecuted. So that would not make sense in this verse. Yeah. Why would Paul say... If I still proclaim the same persecution as all those false brothers, why am I still being persecuted by them? Because he's not. (laughs) He's not being persecuted by them for proclaiming the same thing they are. He's being persecuted by them because he's proclaiming something different. Mm -hmm. He is proclaiming Christ as salvation. They are proclaiming circumcision as Mm -hmm. salvation. He's persecuted because he's different. Mm -hmm. So... He is talking now about the biblical circumcision. He's saying, if I still proclaim biblical circumcision, why do they not like what I have to say? Mm-hmm. You know what Paul is actually saying here? He is saying, I am not against circumcision if we talk about it biblically. Mm-hmm. I am not against what my father and taught about circumcision in the Bible. Mm-hmm. But he did not teach what these false brothers are teaching. Yeah. He is not. They, he did not teach us that that circumcision is what saves us. Mm-hmm. That the blood of that circumcision saves us. No, he told us that this is simply an act of obedience and love to our Father. That is all that God said it is. So he is saying, if I still proclaim circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? He's saying I am pers- I am. I proclaim it, but I'm being persecuted for proclaiming something different. And he says what it is. Then the stumbling block of the stake has been set aside. That's what he said next. Mm-hmm. Because the stumbling block is Jesus himself. Because the stumbling block is to the, those certain Pharisees a stumbling block mm-hmm. because they don't accept him. They want to accept their circumcision to be their salvation. So the only way that you would really understand and accept what I am really proposing here is if you understood that 
Paul is not against the law of God. Paul is not against God's word. He's not doing away with it. If Paul, in fact, here was saying that biblical circumcision is wrong, unbiblical circumcision is wrong, all forms of circumcision is wrong, then Paul is a false prophet because he's doing away with God's word. And also he'd be schizophrenic because we look at Romans. What did he say? The law of God is holy, righteous, just, and good. And that his flesh desires to break the law, but his spirit desires to keep the law. And he's at odds within himself. So we know that Paul upheld. Like, what did he also say in Romans? Do we nullify the law through this faith? God forbid we uphold the law. Right. Through the faith. We don't uphold the law instead of the faith. Right? (laughs) Right. So that's what he's against here. If we uphold the law and do away with faith, that's what he is talking about. That's wrong. But he is all for upholding the law, even the law of circumcision, brothers and sisters, even that one, if we do it, but understand that it has a place and that faith is what saves us. Mm-hmm. And what Christina just said earlier about how Paul is not against the law and that he upheld it, he is actually saying again now in the very next verse. He says in verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, for doing what you want, to do away with the law. No, your freedom is not about that. But through the love, through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. So we are to love those um, who are against us, love one another, love brothers. Do not be part of the division, but actually come and be a peacemaker. That's really what he is calling us to. And we have to call out uh, really like heresy when it's necessary, like Paul has been doing throughout this whole book. But at the same time, we need to come and do so in great love. If our heart behind it is not in love, then we should rather not even bring that correction because it would do more harm than good. We have to always have the undertones of love deeply um, ingrained in the words that we say, even if it is words of correction or even words of rebuke, um, if it has to come to that. And then when we read on, he says in verse 16, we read, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and there's of the spirit against the flesh for these are opposed. They're at odds against each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So what he is saying right now in regards to the walking in the spirit is actually really profound. And I think it's often overlooked because he is saying that the the spirit and the flesh are at odds with one another in the firstly. Right. And and I think we can all agree on that. Okay, that what the spirit does and through us, what the spirit wants to do, what God wants us to do is at odds with what our flesh wants to do. But the big thing is this, though. He says, if you're led by the spirit, you're not again under the law. Okay, so if you're if you're led by the spirit, people may say, well, then I I, I shouldn't be keeping the law. That's what they think it means. But actually, on the contrary, it's the opposite, because what he means by under the law, like we've discussed before, is the really the punishment that the law brings when you break it. Mm -hmm. So he's saying when you are led by the spirit, you will not be under the punishment of the law, 
because you will be keeping it. Number one, and number two, because you are not you are saved and free from the punishment of the law. And I want to also read to you here Romans 8 verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. So he is actually saying that if you are led by the spirit, if your mind is on the things of the spirit, you will submit to God's law because the mind of the flesh is the very thing that doesn't. So he's actually saying that if you're led by the spirit, you must you will be submitting to the law of God. You will be keeping the law of God because that's what it is to walk in the spirit and be led by the spirit. But you will not be under the law. That means you won't be uh, under the consequence of the law when you break it because you are free from that because you're safe now by Yeshua and safe from that punishment. And now verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so what I want to point out to you with these, the list of the works of the flesh you just mentioned is the very end is, he, you know, he's, he lists everything. And then at the end, he says, and things like these, what, where did he get this list in the first place? That's really the question, because if we know where he got this list, we know where the rest of the things are. Okay. So he got the list from the law of God, because there is a law of, and in, in in God's word that says, do not do sorcery. There's a law that says, do not commit adultery, do not practice sexual immorality, um, so anything, right? Sorcery, drunkenness, etc. That is where Paul got these things. That's why we just mentioned earlier that the works of the flesh is the same as breaking the law of God and walking in the spirit is the same as keeping the law of God. It, it's the same. It's it, it walks hand in hand. And so we now naturally can know that the things like these that he talks about are the other things in God's word and God's law. But now here's the big question. He says at the end there that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But whoa, PD, Christina, you guys just said that uh, the Lord is not about uh, if we if, about salvation, right? Well, there's a caveat to it, and it is simply that he look at what he says. If you do these things, look, that is your lifestyle. If you are a drunkard, mm. if you are living a life of sexual immorality and you say, well, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, but I'm sleeping around, right. I'm getting drunk and I'm doing sorcery or witchcraft. Any of these things that Paul mentions and things like these. Right. So he's, he's talking about because all of these things are very much rebellious mm -hmm. acts against God. You cannot be doing these things and say in the same sentence, you're a believer in God and you've picked up your cross to follow him. You're a liar. The truth is not in you. So so even though the law is not what saves us, breaking it to this point of rebellion against God, this is in other words, these are things that are habitual on purpose and mm. rebellion against God. You disregard God's word completely. These aren't, this is not an oopsie. This is not a, I made a mistake, and which then I repent and I turn back to God. Yes. It's not that. And, and that this also means that if you did these things, but you repent, 
that you can you inherit salvation you will inherit salvation right because when you repent you turn away from those things and you turn back to god teshuva as it is yes. in hebrew you run back to god and he does forgive you but if you make this a habitual lifestyle that's who you are and right. that's what you do that's when yes he does he does have forgiveness for us even for these things but it is when we like paul said present tense do these things mm -hmm. then it becomes a problem Right. So let's read on verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love. This is now the, the opposite of the things we just read, right? The fruits of the spirit instead of the flesh. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, it is also keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You know, what's cool is that as Paul kind of gives us, you know, a contrast between the works of the flesh and then the, the fruits of the spirit. We have the works of the flesh being sexual immorality, sensuality, impurity. Mm -hmm. Then we have it contrasted with love. The fruit of the spirit is love. And that kind of love is the love that Yeshua had where he was willing to even give up his life to die on our behalf. Mm -hmm. So that we might live and that love that will you're you're willing to lay down your life for someone right it's not a selfish love but it's a selfless love and then likewise paul mentions um divisions dissensions rivalries and what's the opposite of that it is having peace it's having kindness and goodness mm -hmm. so we need to make sure that we as believers are we promoting divisions are we promoting dissensions are we walking in sensuality or are we seeking to walk in the fruit of the spirit? Because that, this is the fruit that will naturally grow when we are walking in the spirit and we are seeking to have that close, intimate relationship with God. Yeah. And you know what? This, I think it's very important because many people are even on the other side in that they say, oh, I keep the law. Mm -hmm. I keep the law of God. I, I don't do this and that. And, you know, they would bring up whatever it is, but they have jealousy. But they have a, an anger issue. Mm -hmm. They are they don't they don't have gentleness when they even correct people. Mm -hmm. Or you well, pride. yeah, you, you can have if you have any of these things which are fruit of the flesh. Like, what are you doing? Like, you know, that's you you are a breaker a breaker of the law, right? So you can say, oh, I keep all these laws, I do all these good things, but you live in a you have a heart full of jealousy of bitterness of all these things. God says you don't forgive others. You have bitterness. I don't forgive you. That's the word from the words of our Messiah. He said that. So we have to be careful because Paul is now addressing the heart issue, the, the spirit side of things. He's saying that the fruit of the spirit, it has to flow from your heart. This has to be the natural thing that happens in the believer's heart is truly saved is that these things flow like a river. And if they do not flow, you need to, there's repentance, there's forgiveness, there's this option of turning from it, which we have to do as it happens. And then there's freedom, right? Immediately, no, no condemnation, freedom, because he's quick to forgive us. But we need to turn from it and not live present tense in those sins. Right. So in conclusion, uh, as we talk about these fruits of the spirit, this is actually the heart of the law, the law of God, because if you keep all of the commandments perfectly, but you don't have love. You know, what, what does it say in the scripture, right? And if you, if you speak with the tongues of angels and you, you speak with all, you know, but you don't have love, you're like a clanging cymbal. 
You can have all of these things down perfectly, but you don't have patience. You don't have kindness. You don't have that, that, that love for your um, brother and sister, right? As you know, we have here the self-control. You don't have self-control in your own personal life. Let's just say you keep the Sabbath perfectly, or you keep these other things perfectly. You go to church every Sunday perfectly, whatever you're doing to you know honor God, but yet your personal private life, you have secret sin. You have a lack of self-control, or you have a lack of love and kindness, right? The mm. Holy Spirit, when we listen, because it's like the still small voice, will convict us. And the mark of the believer is that we will listen to that still small voice convicting us to walk in holiness. To write, as it says in Leviticus, be holy as I am holy. And as Peter says in his book, be holy as I am holy. We are called to be holy as he is holy as believers. And to walk in obedience to the law of God includes walking in obedience and walking in the spirit because this will reveal these fruits. Love, patience, joy, that joy of the Lord, which you will rejoice no matter the trials, no matter the storms going about you because you have an unshakable joy, not the fickle happiness that the world might give, but joy that is founded in the cross of Christ because you are saved, you are, you are given salvation, redemption, restoration, you're given purpose and fulfillment through the work that he did. So all of these fruits of the Spirit, they are what naturally occur. You don't have to work for them. They're what naturally grow, like from a tree, right? You don't have to like work for that fruit. It naturally grows from a healthy tree right. that is rooted in, like what does it say in Psalm 1? You know, the righteous man who, who dwells in the law of God day and night, he's like a tree planted by streams of living water. What do we have in the word of God? Living water symbolizing is the, the spirit. He is He's grounded in the word of God. And he, the, the spirit is flowing and is filling him up and to overflowing, right? And then these fruit naturally grow and naturally bless and feed others. And now we enter into chapter six of Galatians, the final chapter, verse one. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. One great example of that is when Yeshua came across the woman caught in adultery. He spoke to her in that gentleness. You know, he said to her, Go and sin no more. And we should also have that same gentleness when we approach believers and brothers and sisters who have been walking in sin so that we can restore them because the goal is to restore them, not to condemn them, but to restore them back to a, a better walk, walking like Yeshua. Right. He also says next, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think it's interesting, you know, he talks about bearing these burdens mm -hmm. and that's, of course, what Christ taught us to right. bear one another's burdens. That's one of the big teachings of him, the big revelations mm -hmm. that he brought on for us. And what he literally did mm -hmm. when he bore our burdens, like the, the punishment of our sin, he bore it literally as he bore that right. cross, as he carried that cross, that was the punishment that we deserve for breaking the law for, for our sins. Right. And he literally bore that upon his shoulders. Right. And yet it says, we are also to bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the, the law of Christ, the, the revealing of what Christ, well, how Christ revealed himself in the law of God, literally, yeah. this person. And he, and it's also this word, Christ's law to be fulfilled, right? You fulfill mm. that by doing this. Some people think that Christ's law and God's law are in opposition or different, mm. but it's not. He and his father is one. The You can even think of it in the way that just, just you can even say that the law that God gave is the law that Christ gave because they are one. 
Okay, they are not in opposition. They are not in uh, inapplicable for one age and not another. They're all applicable for all time. But Christ simply brought greater revelation to what his father already gave in the beginning. Mm-hmm. That's what fulfill means to bring more revelation, mm-hmm. more uh, edification to something. Mm-hmm. And so um, what Christ's law is, is simply those edifications and revelations on, of God, on top of God's law already. And so there's no distinction in terms of really like that's only what Paul is really meaning because Christ is the one who taught us regarding bearing another's burdens. That's why he says this is Christ's law. And he literally revealed that in his person as he carried the cross and as he walked and as he taught. Yes, exactly. So next we read the following verse three. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that he will also reap. Now, this is also interesting and important for Paul to play, to write this to the Galatians. He's saying if someone comes and he teaches you the word, make sure that you give back to him in some way. He says shit to share all good things with that person. Mm-hmm. And he actually next says, do not be deceived because God is not mocked for what everyone says he'll reap. Why would it be mocking God if we did not share all good things with the one who teaches? I want to remind you of Ananias and Sapphira uh, in the uh, book of Acts. We read about how they kept, they lied mm-hmm. about their giving because of giving to the one who were teaching them. Right. That was Peter and the rest of the apostles. And because of that, they were they were they mocked God. You Peter even said you are mocking the Holy Spirit. Who do you think you are? Right. You're you think you can deceive in that way. And they had obviously God's judgment bearing down on them and they fell down and died and in an eyes of And so um, this the problem is, is that we are actually mocking God when we don't share with the one who teaches us because we are basically then ungrateful in our we're, we're not. This is the way we say thank you is by giving back is by supporting the one that God has given us. God has given that person um, talent and teaching and uh, an anointing. And that means we need to thank God for that anointing by giving to that person and supporting them so they can continue doing so. We also read in Malachi three verse eight, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And then God said in your tithes and contribution, you are cursed with a curse because you robbed me. And so it's the same idea. Why are we robbing God? Because God has given these people this gift of teaching. He has given them his supernatural, uh, these supernatural abilities by the Holy Spirit. And so if we take do not share what is good for them to continue what they're doing. Now we're actually robbing God's uh, word from ourselves and God's people, the rest of God's people, because we are not supporting the platform that God is using to spread his word by. And that is the people that he has chosen it to do so by. So that is why Paul is stressing this. And he, Paul actually stresses this in various places um, because he finds it very important for the gospel to go forth. 
Verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Right. So how we sow and what we sow is so vital. Like how I said earlier, the fruit of the Spirit is what naturally grows when you have an intimate relationship with the Father, when you're walking in the Spirit. But if you are sowing seeds, not of the Spirit, but of the flesh, if you're sowing things that will not grow into fruit of the Spirit, but will grow into works of the flesh, or in other words, sin, you will reap corruption, even as Petey just read. And that corruption is not just going to appear um, spiritually, you know, you know, later on in judgment, but also it will appear in your life right now. And it can mm-hmm. even appear physically in your body. It can appear in relationships because we know that sin does bring damage. It damages and it hurts you and it hurts others. Right. So we need to be careful that, you know, when we are as believers, our, what seed are we sowing? Are we sowing seeds that will grow into beautiful fruits that will bring joy both to us and to others, love to us and to others, patience and gentleness and self-control? Are we sowing seeds that will bloom into something rotten and destructive that will bring corruption and to both ourselves and to those around us? And now he's going to talk about the concluding matters of this letter. And he says in verse 11, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my hand. It is those who want to make a boasting in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. And what is so important about what Paul is saying right now is that this whole letter to the Galatians is not Paul, you know, like we have heard probably many times in various sermons. Paul is coming against the law of God. No, Paul is actually saying these people, these false brothers, they're not even keeping the law. (laughs) They're not even keeping the law. Rather, they're trying to boast in their flesh, and that is what Paul is coming against. Right. If if they were trying to keep the law and and Paul is not for that, then why would Paul say these guys aren't keeping the law? Because that would be good in Paul's eyes if Paul was against Mm. um, keeping the law. But Paul is all for keeping the law. That's why he's saying those who want you to be circumcised, we want to force this on Mm. you for to be saved because that's what the forcing was for. They were saying, if you do not Mm. get circumcised, you will not get heaven. That's a forceful thing, right? That's what they were doing. So they can boast in that. Mm. And that's what it is. And so he's saying they don't keep the law. What law? The law of God. Mm. They try and keep their own laws that they wrote. Like we read some things from the Talmud, etc. So that's what he is getting at here. Mm. Okay. And now, but Paul is then saying in verse 14 that, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross. It's not by my flesh, but by the cross, by the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor circumcision, but a new creation. And again, when he's saying it doesn't count for anything, and if we or if we're going to talk about the law, keeping the law doesn't count for anything or whatever, it is. He doesn't talk about God's idea of circumcision. He doesn't talk about God's law. He's talking about the man-made laws that we are discussing here, that Paul is discussing here. And he's talking about the man-made ideas around circumcision for salvation. And the context, the context is for salvation. Yes. 
That's what it doesn't count for anything for. Um, and then he goes in verse 16 and he says, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And right as Paul says in verse 16, grace, peace, mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Well, what do we know from Romans chapter 11? All who believe in the God of Israel, if you come from a wild olive branch, you are not Jewish by blood, you're Gentile, you are grafted into the olive tree of Israel. You are now a part of Israel. And because you're now a part of Israel, you, as Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, you who once were far off from the covenants of promise, from the commonwealth, are now brought near by the blood of your circumcision? No, by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the blood of the cross, you are now brought near and you are now a part of Israel. So the covenants, the the law, the, the freedom, all of that belongs to you because you are part of Israel. Israel. And the new covenant was made to no one but the house of Judah and the house of Israel. Mm. So if you are not part of Israel, you can't be part of the new covenant. So, but we are. When we believe in Him, like Christina said, mm. we become part of Israel. And this is the new covenant that He came to write His law, His Torah. Yes. on our hearts to make us a new creation because the, that law is etched on our hearts. It's where our, even our flesh is going to be changed mm-hmm. to want to be obedient to what is written there. Mm-hmm. And now we will walk by the spirit and we will be an obedience to it, mm-hmm. not by the flesh who desires to be without it. And so and the Holy Spirit yeah. also Jumping on your thought, yeah. as the Holy Spirit guides us in that obedience to the Torah, it guides us to the obedience of the heart of Torah as well, which is that loving your neighbor yes. as yourself. Yeshua, Jesus showed that when he healed the leper, when he opened the eyes of the blind, when he brought restoration, as it says in Luke 4, he came to heal, to set free the captive, to, to bring restoration, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring the year of the Lord's favor. That is walking in the spirit, which is the heart of the Torah, which is the heart of the law of God. You cannot say, well, I keep Torah. I don't need the Holy Spirit or I have the Holy Spirit. I don't need the law. They work together because they are in unity. They are. What did Jesus say to the woman at the well? He says, I desire that the true followers will worship me in spirit and in truth because they are united. They go hand in hand. As Paul has been saying, though to walk in the spirit, the spirit guides you in obedience to the law of God and it brings fulfillment, it brings fullness to the word of God because it brings the heart, it brings out the heart of the law of God. So you as a believer are called to walk in both mm-hmm. as a follower of Christ, to look like Christ. Right. And uh, if I wanna end off with this thought, I think is, if you don't agree with what we have been teaching in this series, if there's something that bothers you, if there's something that you're not sure about, um, there is a very simple way of clear- clearing it all up. And this is a very important rule, I think, rule of thumb to go by, is if you're not sure, just look at what Jesus did and do what he did. If you're not sure, just listen to what John that we read in the book of John. Whoever abides in him ought to walk as he walked. So if you want to know, did should I be 
doing this or not doing that. Well, look at did Jesus do this or not do it? Mm. And really look into who he was and what he taught and do what he did. And then you will be safe because men have many opinions, but he has one walk. And that walk is to walk by the instructions of his father. And to walk in the power of the spirit. Exactly. So, brothers and sisters, we hope that this has blessed you. Um, in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, Paul wrote, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So, go imitate Paul because he imitated Christ. Blessings and shalom. Blessings and shalom.